It's at this time that we normally give to the Lord his tithes and our offerings. I will remind you of the many ways you can do that. Um, since we are not physically doing that today, um, you can go to our website and uh, go to the giving link. Um, if you are a member of our church, you can go to CCB, and from there you can look for uh, the tab to give. You can also send in a check to Redeemer um, in Overland Park, or uh, I believe I have a key to the box here. You can send a check here now. So either way, we'd be happy to receive that. And I just, as I've been, I just want to continue to thank you. Um, it's been a fantastic week. The Lord has, has shown his goodness time and time again, and you have shown your willingness to see the kingdom grow, both here and around the world, um, ever since we first started meeting. And so I want to thank you, and it would be more appropriate to now go to the Lord and thank him for all that he has done for us. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Galen is right. All good gifts do come from you. And that which we give back is only that which you have first given us. Lord, may we never take for granted that all that we have, our very life and our very breath, is on loan, is borrowed from you. Lord, I thank you for the zealousness of this congregation to see your kingdom grow both here and around the world. I pray that you would impress upon all of us a strong desire to continue that great commission that you have called us all to, to make disciples, teaching them, loving, caring, and walking alongside them. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to give, and I pray that you would take what has been given or will be given and that you would bless it, and that you would bless it to your glorious name. We ask us all in the name of Christ Jesus, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. And as you reach for your Bibles, I'll make a quick confession this morning. You know, one thing that I've been accused of, I like large passages of Scripture. I love story, and I love hearing complete stories. And so one thing I've had to work on in my ministry is picking passages that are too large. Um, I have been lovingly rebuked for that more than one occasion, but I thought I was safe today. Four verses. Surely you cannot go wrong with four verses. However, as I was digging into our passage this week and found myself eight pages in only covering the first two, the Lord made it very clear that we're not covering four verses today. We're going to cover two verses today. And I believe that you will quickly find that this is exactly what we need to hear this morning. Uh, and so I do invite you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. But we're going to be considering just verses 12 and 13. So what we'll do, we'll take what was going to be one series and turn it into two. That's all right. Um, if you want to retitle um, for this, um, uh, you can also change the title in your uh, bulletin if it would uh, make you happy. Uh, you could call this section 
how to lead and love those who do. When we look at it in these two verses, this idea of leadership is going to come to the forefront and our response to that leadership. And you know, it's very common for Paul to give um, a rapid fire set of instructions or teachings at the end of his letters. If you look at any of his writings, you get to that final chapter or that final paragraph, um, or at least the one before his benediction, you're going to find he just starts quickly just throwing things out there. That's not because he's forgot them. Remember, they're working with limited space, literally. And so he finds the pages getting short, and he says, okay, how can I help them? All right, let's go. And then he starts sending them information. Remember this, remember this, remember this, remember this. And while we're only going to be considering a very short section of that this morning, what that does is, and remember, you're, you're, you're reading Paul, he's pulling in all of his teaching. He's pulling in more than that. He's pulling in the teaching of the Old Testament. He's pulling in the teaching of the apostles. He's pulling in everything. So when we hear these words this morning, he's really given us themes or topics that we should take a biblical understanding and appreciation of. And that's what we're going to seek to do this morning. And what better place to find ourselves than this final section, which really is these truths, reminders, or teachings on how to live as a faithful church. And in some ways, that's what we've been talking about through this series. And so Paul gives the church here these final instructions. With that in mind, I do invite you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 5.12 as we hear the word of the Lord for us this morning. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And while the grass may wither and the flower may fall, the word of the Lord will stand forever and it will accomplish every single purpose he has set out for it. Let us go to him now in prayer and ask his blessing upon this time. O Lord, as we come to this final section, I pray that we as a young congregation would cling to these words, that we would cling to these truths these teachings on how to live as a godly church. Father, I desire very much that this would be a church that upon that final day, you say, well done. You have finished the race. You have kept me before you. I pray that for each one here as well as for us together. That can only happen if we are convicted by your word through the power of your spirit, turn from our sin and point our direction toward you. And so we ask these things this morning. We ask you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive your truth. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, it's amazing to me if you really think about it. The book of 1 Thessalonians um, has been about relationship. If you simplified it down to one word, which I would never encourage someone to do, it would be that word, relationship. In fact, we titled this series, How to Prepare for Christ's Return, or How to Live in Light of Christ's Return. And the answer is, have a right relationship with God, and have a right relationship with each other. 
which sounds a lot like something Jesus might have said. Luke 10, 27, perhaps. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Paul finds himself literally running out of space on the page, and yet he goes back over a lot of topics he's already covered in this series. He doesn't really say anything new. Instead, he says, remember again. Here's another reminder. One last time. And because he does that, we as a people should take this and remind ourselves again. We should put ourselves in their shoes and go, if it's worth saying more than once, it's worth hearing more than once. And so this morning, I'm going to remind us of some things that we have been told. Thomas Watson wrote a fantastic book titled The Art of Divine Contentment. This book is free and online, and I encourage every single one of you to go and read this or to listen to it. It is, I've been going through this, and it has been good for my soul. And he's got this, this line in there that I thought was beautiful. He says, this is the problem today with contentment. It's not enough for Christians simply to hear their duty. They must learn it. It's one thing to hear and another thing to learn, as it is one thing to eat and another thing to concoct. St. Paul was a practitioner. Christians hear much, but it is to be feared, learn little. And isn't that true of us? We need reminding again and again. And so this morning, we are going to be reminded again. And in fact, we're going to focus on just these two verses and our relationship in two areas. One, our relationship to those God has placed over us, our leaders. And then secondly, our relationship amongst each other. We're going to see that in two points. In verses 12 to the first half of 13, treat those placed over you with love and respect. And then the second half of 13, seek peace amongst yourselves. So that's our goals this morning, to treat those who labor above you with respect and then also to be at peace amongst yourself. Let us dive in by beginning with verse 12. And if you're like me and you get to one of these sections of Paul, you find yourself having to take a breath after each punctuation mark because he just gets so into it. You can almost see his excitement. You can almost feel his energy as he writes. I mean, in the English, he doesn't even get through a full sentence and he gives us three marks of leadership and the church's response to leaders who fulfill those three remarks. And so we've got four things to talk about before the first comma. And we would do well to do that. Well, not the first comma, but you know what I mean. Listen to what he says. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Three marks of true leaders and true leadership here. First, true leadership labors among you. He states it as if it's already happening, and certainly in the case of the Thessalonian church it was. This is a very important aspect of leadership and one we could not overlook this morning. True leaders, in a spiritual sense, do not see themselves as over their people, but as part of their people. Leadership is not an opportunity to become the boss and look down on everyone. 
nor is it an opportunity to skip out on work. We can think of great leaders in the Bible and how that either went for their favor or their downfall. Think about this, King David, one of the greatest human leaders. We would dare say there is one greater than he from a human perspective. And yet, do you remember what got him in trouble? How is your memory? 2 Samuel 11 tells us this. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab. Did you hear what happened? In the time of the year where kings are to do their job, David didn't. In the time of the year when the kings are to lead their people with serving alongside them, David sent someone else. And then he found himself looking at that which wasn't his and taking of it that it did not belong to him. Sin found David because David found himself failing in leadership. True leaders, biblical leaders, lead amongst their people, and when they find themselves not doing so, sin is right around the corner. Well, if that's a negative example, let's think about a positive. On the night he was to be betrayed, Jesus in an upper room, he takes off his outer garment, he wraps it around his waist, and does the most humiliating and humbling thing imaginable. He gets on the floor and washes the feet of his disciples. The disciples who call him master, who call him Lord, who would know him as Savior. And yet Jesus puts himself on the floor and washes their feet. An act so low that not even Jewish servants were allowed to do this. And Jesus said, now disciples, you follow me. This is what you must do. This is how you must lead. This is how you must act. You must place yourself below. The last shall be first in the kingdom of God. You know, people learn how to act by observing those around them. And so if we as a community want to be a community that creates leaders and creates leadership, then we need to demonstrate ourselves what leadership looks like through service. Pastor Nathan has mentioned to me before a type of mentorship that he does anytime he's creating a leader or, or training someone to act in a certain way. It's this easy three-step process. He's told me before, first, I will do it and you will watch me so that you understand what I'm asking you to do. Then we'll do it together. That way I can help you and I can train you and I can show you how it's to be done. And then finally, I will watch you as you do it to make sure you know how it is to be carried out, which ultimately allows through that time for you to be able to do it and to know that it's done right. And he has encouraged me personally and, and followed this path with me many times over the last few years. And I know he has with many more people. And if we think about it, this really is this model we're talking about here in the text with our people. But it doesn't stop there. The second aspect of leadership that Paul lays out is leaders are over you in the Lord. And two realities come into mind when I hear this clause. First, leaders have to lead. They cannot be passive. This does not mean that they have to be quick to speak or to act. Sometimes I, I think people wrongly think of, of leadership as um, overt 
um, extroverted aggression. Um, that's not the case. I actually know more introverted elders than I do extroverted. And I know elders in many states. Um, but when we talk about leaders have to act, what we mean is when it comes time to make a decision, leaders are willing to make that decision, whether it's easy or not, whether it's convenient or not, whether it is going to lead to comfort or not. If it's the right thing to do, leaders must make that decision. But more importantly than that, leaders must lead, but please don't forget or please don't miss three vital words. Leaders must lead in the Lord. Those in leadership must submit themselves and their decisions to the Lord. We are all sheep. And like sheep, we have all gone astray, leaders included. But even when we do, we must repent of our sin quickly and sincerely. A humble reliance upon the Lord is necessary for us all. This is a message that Paul has taught clearly through this letter. And it goes doubly so for those who lead. If we offer anything to our people that is not from the Lord, then ultimately, as the preacher of Ecclesiastes puts it, it is vanity or chasing after wind. Leaders must be grounded in and depended upon the Lord and the Lord alone. And yet he saves the, the best for last or, or the most difficult for last because thirdly, he says, leaders must admonish. Leaders must admonish. Leaders must be so filled with God's love for the flock that they're willing to correct error and call out sin. Jesus tells his disciples in Luke 17, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. It's not kind, nor is it loving, to let someone walk freely in their sin. And let's be honest. Sometimes correction hurts. It does not feel good to be corrected. But if we do not correct, then how are we to learn? It's the same for child raising, isn't it? I remember growing up, hearing my parents tell me, as many told you, giving the spanking hurts me as much as it does you. And I would think, well, don't do it. Then neither of us would be hurt. It would work out really well. But looking back on it now, I am so grateful that my parents did have the amount of love and capacity for saying, no, child, this is what you need right now. Not because I don't love you, but because I love you. Since I love you, you need this. To spare the rod is to spoil the child. And it would be equally wrong to let sin run freely among the flock. One of the first lines of defense we have as a church against sin one of our greatest tools of admonishment is the preaching of the word. I love to ask this question now that I get to ask questions of candidates for ordination. Um, have you ever been part of church discipline? And most people, they hear that and go, oh no, I've never been in church discipline. And I go, oh, well, that's wrong. Because the preaching of God's word is an act of discipline. Week by week, as we sit under the word of God, we are being disciplined. Even today, even now, we're being taught what's right and warned against what is wrong. We're being trained to follow God and trained to hate sin. We're being shaped and molded into loving the kingdom of heaven and hating the world. We have all found ourselves under discipline, and it's why the preaching of the word is so important. 
we intentionally walk through biblical text, leaving nothing out if we can, because this allows us to see major themes and not skip over the hard parts. This doesn't give us any escape when we come to a passage when we don't like that, or it may not be easy, or it may be difficult to hear. You know, I didn't know on the first Sunday we would possess the building, and yet we find ourselves at a text that says, be grateful for those in leadership over you. I know that you don't know all that goes on behind the scenes, and I don't care to speak of it, but I will tell you that your leaders care very much about you and that your leaders give a lot. They give a lot and would not ever want to know, want you to know how much they give because they love you and they care for you. And that's been demonstrated this week and it's been demonstrated each week. And so we find ourselves this morning providentially on a passage about loving leaders. God makes no mistakes. I wrote this series um, or prepared for it a couple of months ago before the quarantine um, I, like I said, planned on covering four verses today, and yet God's plan was to bring us right here. That's the beauty of God's Word. That's admonishment. That's how God uses His Word to give His people what they need. But our second line of defense is actually each of you. That call to admonishment isn't just for the leaders. It's actually for the whole Christian community, isn't it? We're called to love our neighbors as ourselves. That would include if you find your neighbor in sin, if you find them stumbling, if you find them struggling in a certain area, in love, reaching out to them. Dear brother, dear sister in Christ, we cannot live that way. We cannot act that way. God's word is clear. How about I help you? Let me struggle with you. Let me serve with you. Let me love you in this way. And that we are all called to admonish one another in love. But that third line of defense, and it's a very strong line of defense, is our leaders. Our leaders confronting sin when it comes to their attention. It's out of a desire to bring the wayward person back. All the while, it is the duty of leaders to admonish. Calvin has a beautiful quote about this, speaking about the voice of, he says pastor, but I would also include the word elder here, the pastor ought to have two voices, one for gathering the sheep and another for warding off and driving away wolves and thieves. The scripture supplies him with the means of doing both. God's word is sufficient for drawing his people to himself and for ridding and protecting the flock from that which is not pure and that which is not true. And so Paul reminds the church here, leaders, admonish, leaders, Love in the Lord. Leaders, lead among your people. And how are we to respond? What do we do as a congregation in response to that? When God gives us leaders who are doing these things and serving in this way, what do we do? Paul says, respect them and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. When the congregation nominates a person for elder or deacon, they go through a very lengthy process. It includes time of teaching, time of study, examination, a very thorough one at that, and then they can be voted on by the congregation. I really do believe that the process of having elders and deacons is not only biblical in nature, but it's good for the church. I'm a big proponent for the Presbyterian system of government. 
I mean, as the Lord gives me opportunity, I will continue to promote it. In fact, we're warned in Scripture, you know, not to promote people to this position lightly. James says in 3.1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I don't know if I've ever heard anyone go, I'd like a little more strictness in my life. Can you judge me a little bit more? Can you look at my life a little bit closer? Can you consider me even harder? I, I really need that right now. You know, one commentator addressing this passage in James said, Bible scholars speculate that James's warning was in a response to a problem with too many self-titled teachers in the early Christian church. It could be that some truly thought they were wise while they were immature. It's also possible some desired to respect desired the respect given to teachers, but didn't have the gift of teaching or a lifestyle that reflected the truths of Christianity. James is not suggesting nobody should become teacher. It's a much-needed role, and God empowers specific individuals to fill it. And so Paul says that when the church finds those people, we are to treat them with respect and with gratitude. Now, that does not mean we have to agree with everything they say. There's a reason we believe in plurality of leaders. You know, you may not recognize it, but we have a leadership team here in Lee Summit. But we are actually governed by the session of Overland Park. They are our session as a mission church. And so we have about 20 people checking the decisions that are made by this community to hopefully give certainty that when we make a decision or when we take a stance or we give a view on something, it has been well vetted by godly men and it has been well considered and well thought out. Now, does that mean that we will always get everything right? By no means. By no means. But this, I do believe from a biblical perspective, is the model that God has given us and we're called to follow it. Now, I know I'm telling you something that you already know. But Paul tells us here why we should treat leaders the way that he calls us to treat them. And it's not even necessarily because of themselves. It's the work that they're doing. We are to esteem them because of the work that they're doing. And what work is that? It's the work of the gospel. It's making disciples and loving our neighbors. If you have time today and, and want some extracurricular reading, go to the book of church order, chapters 8 and 9, Read through the qualifications for elder and deacon. Look at what has been put in place and then find yourself going, no wonder everybody that's ever been called to that office seriously questions should they take it. Or, you know, you could go to Titus or Timothy and you could read the qualification for elder and for leader, overseer. You can recognize the first one is holiness and then find yourself going, well, Lord, who are you going to send? How in the world can anyone fulfill that role? Well, on their own, they can't. But thankfully, it is not on their strength. What did he say? Leaders serve over you, with you, in love, but most importantly, in the Lord. And to that, we are to love them and to regard them highly. <laughs> now, as a quick aside... I need to say it is very awkward for me to preach this message as one of your leaders. And 
please do not hear any of this as me telling you to love me more. I'm not feeling a lack of your love. I'm I'm not feeling an absence of your appreciation for me and my family. Um, But like I said, the text is the text. And what God gives us, we, we listen to. And I know that you love the leaders that God has placed over you. You all treat us better than we deserve. And you have a deep love of God. And I think that's why you treat us better than we deserve. It's because you know the Savior. You know your own struggles. You know your own sin. You know what it's like to live or try to live a godly life. And then you think about those who are leading and have the same struggles and have the same weaknesses and have the same flaws. And yet they're called to do that and then some. And I can tell you how much I cannot tell you how much it means to me when you send a text or a message to one of us and you say you're praying for us you're thinking about us this passage came to mind this week and it made me think of you here's a book we think you might like here's just letting us know that you care because we don't have this perfect plan those that you've placed in leadership we're not you know if you look at those qualifications it's not like hey those guys have it I'm glad we lucked out on that. No, we struggle in those regards. We have our own weaknesses. We have our own flaws. In fact, if you go through all of the biblical leaders, God has a tendency to take about the most unqualified people possible and put them into leadership. Why? So that at the end of the day, there's no question that they didn't do anything. No, he did. And he used them to do it so that he would get the credit and he would get the glory. And so, while I will admit it is very weird to preach this to you this morning, on behalf of those in leadership, I want to thank you, not for your love of us, but for your love of the Lord. And Paul concludes here in his second, second point, how we're to respond to that, how we're to, to act in that, how do we show that appreciation, how do we show our love to those in leadership? We seek peace amongst ourselves. We seek to be at peace with each other. You know, it's easy to understand the call to respect those in leadership. For a lot of us, that's a natural tendency, but to love one another. Now, that's a challenging idea, isn't it? That is something that becomes a whole lot more different or difficult. But he says, and and make no mistake, be at peace amongst yourselves. Specifically, he's talking to the church. And even more specifically, if you remember... In the Thessalonican church, there are members who are so convinced that Jesus is coming back shortly, they've stopped working, they're not helping, and now they're being a burden upon the church and upon the community. They are literally draining the life, energy, and resources from the church. And what does Paul say? Be at peace with them. Be at peace amongst yourselves. We all know how quickly discord can sneak in. One of the challenges and blessings of working with multiple people on anything is there's a plurality of opinion. And if somebody gets their way, it often means others do not. But we must, as a community, be the type of people who can learn to be okay with that. Because if we really think about it, how is the world ever going to learn to be at peace if we as Christians can't do it first? How is the world ever going to appreciate how the gospel saves lives and transforms communities if we're not willing to demonstrate it in our own lives? They're not, and they won't. 
a little forgiveness goes a long way. And doesn't the world need that more than anything right now? While we're on the topic, let's answer a, a very important question. Be at peace. Well, what is peace? Once again, in the book of Luke, Luke 2.14, the angels proclaim, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. True peace comes, is, finds its center in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Coming in that manger as the angels proclaim, living his life fully and without sin, dying on that cross, going into the tomb, being raised from the dead, ascending into heaven, waiting to come and take us home. That is peace. Peace is knowing that you and I deserve death. Peace is knowing that you and I deserve God's wrath. And yet, if we trust in him and him alone, we receive mercy. Leaders will fail. Each of us will fail. We will all make mistakes. Listen to what Paul says here. Serve in the Lord. Be in peace amongst him yourselves. Live out the gospel. This is the important truth that guides everything else. You have been giving, given mercy beyond what you deserve. Now take that and show mercy to the person that's caused a slight grievance against you. You have committed blasphemy, treason, and adultery against God. You can forgive your neighbor who ran over your plant. You deserve death. You can forgive the cashier for ringing up that can of beans twice. You deserve death, and yet you've been given life. And so Paul says here, the best thing to do in light of that, be at peace. Be at peace in your community. Because you will need it. You will be, need to be shown it as well as those around you. And if we want to be a church that's different in today's culture, if we really want to be a unique entity here in Lee Summit as Christ the Redeemer, all we've got to do is do these two things. We elect leaders who fit this description. We love and respect them. And then we seek peace amongst each other. Because I will tell you in the broader Christian church, they're not doing these things. They're not holding their leaders to the highest standard possible. They're not asking of their leaders to love and admonish, to correct, to train, to suffer with the people. No, they're more like directors who manage programs. They don't suffer with their people. And so if we want to be a unique church here today, then watch your leaders. Hold us to that standard. Be kind with it because we're going to fail. But hold us to that standard because that's the biblical standard right there. And then secondly, we really want to be different. We really want to be a community that's not like the broader church today. Then be at peace. Seek forgiveness. Love one another despite your shortcomings. Recognizing that you deserve way more wrath than you've gotten. Which means you can show way more love than you're often willing or want to. I encourage you. Love those God have placed over you. And be at peace amongst one another in Christ Jesus. And that's the only way that we can. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you 
I thank you that you leave no room for question. Who do you call to be over the church? You call leaders just like this. What is the standard? Holiness. Oh, Lord, we can't do that. We can't complete the standard. We can't fulfill the requirements. And I, I almost can see you smiling and, and saying, I know, but I can. So, Lord, forgive us, those you have placed in leadership, for we fall short of frequently and often. Help us to love our people as you call them to love us. And ultimately, may we leaders and people alike love you, the foundation of our hope. And Father, I pray that we would be at peace amongst ourselves and amongst those outside of this group. Lord, undeserved kindness goes a long way. It makes people wonder what's going on. Why do you say that? Why do you do that? I don't deserve that. No, you don't. Nor did I. But let me tell you about someone who did, Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for this body. I thank you for each one here and those who will watch online. I thank you for their love of you and their love of your church and their love of your people. I pray that you would continue to strengthen it through our study of your word and our observing of the sacraments and of prayer. Father, give us the strength needed to carry out this task. We ask it all in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.